Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and I am on the journey to go from hip-hop dancing engineer turned multifamily real estate investor. And this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Now, today, we are bringing back the Randy Langendurfer. And if you wanted to hear about his story, this isn't the episode to listen to. You got to listen to the previous episode that was released on Tuesday, because this one is all about action items and action steps. And now we are going to be focusing on the passive investor perspective. Uh, and, and something with Randy's message is, is he encourages people to educate themselves, even if you're a passive investor, to invest rather than speculate. So please give a warm welcome and uh, a round of applause wherever you're at to uh, to Randy. Welcome back. Taylor, thanks so much. It's great. Uh, again, thanks for the opportunity this morning and let's roll. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So now, you know, diving right into it then for, for passive investors that just you know, let's let's say they just got an email, one of those one of those emails saying they have an investment opportunity, twenty percent uh, average annual return, eight percent cash on cash return. Numbers look fantastic, right? Sure, whatever. <laughs> what <laughs> now? Uh, now we want to we want to talk to the sponsor and uh, learn more about them. What would be the first um, few questions or, and, and metrics that you would look at when you are presented this opportunity? The great questions, Taylor. So let me start and you, you can uh, slow me down or interrupt me, redirect me however you want to go here. So <laughs> okay. I, I, I'll get good. on a roll and uh, I'm, I'm like a talking head sometimes. Anyhow. Let's do it. We're on a roll. Uh, We're on a roll. <laughs> so you get that email and you hopefully ask yourself, do I know this person? Because after you've gotten on a couple of lists and they pass the names around and stuff, you're, you're going to start getting more opportunities. And I don't know about you, but my inbox, I probably I probably see two opportunities a week now because the market's so heavy with you know people selling and stuff. <laughs> but so I pause right there and say, as an investor, what what's your 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 avatar or what's your game plan? So to me, it starts with don't do anything until you've educated yourself. What what are the investment risks? These are private placement memorandums and uh, offerings that are not controlled by the SEC. They're not controlled by the federal government. There are inherent risks. There are great returns, but it's, they're not controlled by the Securities and uh, Exchange Acts of 33 and 34. So it's not like buying a mutual fund where you can get, you know, there are standard reporting requirements and disclosures and all that stuff. They still disclose in the private placement right So long-winded story is, Educate yourself. Pause there. So where do you get educated at? You say, I'm, I'm, I listen to Taylor's podcast. I like this idea of multifamily. Uh, I want to invest. I've got some disposable money. And I, the returns sound great. So one is educate yourself. So there are first education is, I would say, you're in the right place. You're listening to Taylor's podcast. 
That's why I bring you on, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I generally mean that because <laughs> Thank you. people, I, I spend, I, I'm in the Houston, Texas market and I spend a lot of time in the car and my, my wife is tired of hearing a real estate podcast <laughs> because that's a very uh, easy way to dip your toes in the water and begin to get questions. So educate yourself. There's tons of podcasts of which Taylor's is great. There's uh, meetups in whatever market you're in from New York City to Topeka, Kansas, or any place in between. There's a ton of different real estate meetups. I, I say network, network, and network. And if you can, join one of the national educational groups. There's in Houston, there's Lifestyles Unlimited, there's the Brad Sumrock in uh, Dallas. I'm part of the Rod Khalif organization today, which is there's uh, Michael Blanc, there's uh, many Gino. other, yeah, Jake and Gino, many other guys. Many other guys. Um, you know, uh, I do want to ask that because uh, a lot of guests come come on here and say like educate and you know podcasts are, are really good and I'd love to just like uh, dive in and just a little bit deeper into the education process because I mean I feel like there's so much to learn about multifamily syndications which which place would you recommend them to like start like which which section of multifamily would you recommend them to start like would you want them to start really trying learn underwriting learn or maybe just maybe it's the lingo maybe it's well i guess you know i'm kind of answering my own question here where if you're going into all these presentations naturally you're going to sort of like see the big picture of how these are put together you're going to and you're going to start to have many more questions than you have answers and that's good don't be frustrated by that as as a newbie to the industry Mm -hmm. and so this first of all this takes me back to your intro Investor versus speculator. Uh, speculator. Thank you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was trying to talk. No, you're good. Speculator. So, as an investor, you need to educate yourself. A speculator is one in my mind who says, "Oh, IRR, whatever, 25 percent or whatever," and I know Taylor, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw fifty thousand at him to do this deal. In my humble estimation, that's speculation because either you, maybe you probably know Taylor or you don't. You, 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 but did you analyze the deal? What's what's the deal about? And so uh, an investor, in my humble opinion, analyzes the deal. They first have a relationship with the sponsor, the, the syndicator, the general partner, whatever you want to call them. So develop a relationship, pick a couple, join an ecosystem, find a deal, pull it down, look at the promotional information and call the sponsor and ask questions, make an appointment. I still do that today and I've been doing this for six or seven years and I know people and I, so my mind, it's understanding, you know, some of the, the language. I'm assuming you've got the language down. Now you're at the decision point to invest in this deal, A versus B. And, and A versus B, it's first and foremost, it's the sponsorship group. So yeah, I'm sure you've heard the illustration of the horse and the jockey, you know, and the horse and jockey, there's there's a horse race and there's a horse in the horse race and there's a jockey. And so what's more important, the horse or the jockey? Well, the horse knows the track, may or may not. And so that's the illustration in multifamily. The horse is the submarket. There's the submarket there. But the jockey is the one who's guiding the horse. The jockey is the equivalent of the general partner in the multifamily space. And they're guiding the deal. They're directing the deal. They've done the analysis. They're pulling all the team together. To me, the jockey or the syndicator, the general partner, is much more important than the deal. Pause right there for your listening audience. They're much more important. Understand their track record. There's questions you can ask. What's what's their track record? What's their performance history of paying distributions? Do they focus on 
A-class assets, brand new assets, or do they focus on C-class assets in Houston, Texas, you know, more workforce housing, different risk parameters in those, right? Know the sponsorship group. If you live in New York City and you're looking at a deal in Houston, Texas, that's okay. Maybe the sponsorship group has a great track record in Houston, Texas. That's a good indicator. Maybe this is their first deal in Houston, Texas. That's not a red flag, but a questionable area. What are their what are their assumptions in their pro forma? What are their and these are terminologies you'll learn. What are their rent growth assumptions? What are their expense assumptions? We can go into a lot of detail. What's, what's the buying cap rate? What's the exit cap rate forecasted at? Who's going to manage the property? Did they do it? Did they do third-party property management? What's the property manager's experience in that submarket? So I've got general partners that you know focus in, in DFW. They know that market cold. They've got third-party property management that know every corner of DFW. That's a good. That's that's a risk mitigation factor in my mind. Doesn't mean I wouldn't invest with somebody the first property or using a new property management, but a point of educating yourself. So let me pause there and I know you get it. I have a question. I have a, I have a question. So, you know, now in, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, you know, when, when sponsors get asked these questions, I mean, more likely than not, they're going to be ready to, to answer those questions. Um, mm-hmm. And one person did ask me is like, how do you know you're not getting you're not getting screwed over. Like, how do you know to, to really like take, take their word for it? If they're really just like fluffing up what they say. Short answer is you don't, but you can, in my day job, I would say you can mitigate those risks by again, educating yourself and knowing that sponsorship group, what their history is. I had a student ask me about the other, just yesterday, a group here in Houston, that's buying a deal in Houston. He wants me to walk through it with him and I'm, I'm going to do that. But I said, you know, at a very high level, this person has a very good reputation and they have a track record. They show on their on their promotional. And, you know, he's, here's the, the 10 deals that have gone full cycle. Mm. So they're Houston based. They've done 10 deals full cycle in Houston. Full cycle. Yeah. Key element there, as you know. Key element is full cycle. Yeah. Full cycle. There's a lot of syndicators out there that have bought a lot of deals, but they've never sold one. And, <laughs> you know, that's you don't really know until you gone full cycle. So another another data point. But you can mitigate those risks by educating yourself on some of the underwriting assumptions that I mentioned to develop in a relationship with partners. You don't have to invest in the first one that comes across your desk. Talk to them and say, hey, you know, I'm just learning. I don't know about this one, but I'd really love to stay in touch with you. I'd love to stay as you have more deals coming out in the future. And then when the second deal comes out, you can ask them about the first deal. Hey, how's that performing? Did you meet pro forma? You know, and most syndicators are going to love to keep you on their investor database for the long haul, recognizing that, you know, I've got investors that invested in my first one, but life changes and they don't have capital now to, to invest, but they may come back at a future point in time. So another thing I'd really encourage investors is, is take the long view, right? Take the long view. We talked beforehand, you know, there are, there are groups out there that talk about go big, go fast. That's one strategy. I like to go slow, go steady. And secure. Go slow, steady, and secure. I like singles and doubles. Home runs are wonderful, but you can't count on them, right? And what you don't want is a strikeout. (laughs) In the baseball (laughs) illustration. Never had one of those yet, but uh, I had some good returns. 
You know, you know, something that I wanted to to highlight as well too is, you know, when you are talking to these operators or syndicators, it's something that came into my mind that would be like a good sign is if they sat you down and went over the analysis with you and, and discussed their numbers. Because, well, I mean, if if they're transparent with their numbers, since they're willing to take the time to speak with you and sort of like guide you through this process, um, I feel like that's also a, you know, a good sign of, of building that sure. trust. Now, you know, in, in your experience, have you come across any syndicators that have, or where you have talked to other investors that have invested in those deals before with the sponsor? Or is that a, is that a no, no? Oh, that's a, is that a Absolutely, no? I will absolutely okay. have done that. Uh, that's part of your educational process as you develop your own network of friends. So I have, I'm both a GP and an LP, as I said, but I, right. on the LP side, I, I talk to fellow people that I have learned and made acquainted with and have invested in my deal and they've invested in other deals. And, and offline, I pick their brain. Hey, who's hot these days? Who's the, who's the latest GP that's doing a deal? What do you think of them? And, you know, what do you think of Tom, Dick and Harry? And, you know, if you ask privately, people will tell you their opinion of Tom, Dick and Harry. And I, I have a list. I have a list as an investor of those that I really like and those I won't do business with. You know, and the ones that I should say I won't do business with, I might add they're successful. <laughs> they're, they're, they're buying deals and they're returning to the investors, but it's just a different objective than I have. And that's not bad. That doesn't mean they're fraudulent or anything, but, you know, somebody may be looking for a quick flip. Uh, I like a long-term yield. I, I'm personally, my investment strategy as an LP is to find a long-term yield that has, you know, appreciation five, six, seven years out when it's sold versus a two or three year deal. Neither one of them is wrong. Uh, it's, it's developing your own strategy as an investor. It's that investor mentality that you need to, and take the long view again. So, you know, now I'd love to break down like the different scenarios. And I know, granted, there's probably a bunch of different scenarios with investor profiles and like what they're looking for. But in your particular investment strategy, you know, what's, I mean, you know, what's the, what's the way I'm trying to ask this question? Because uh, for, strategy? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is what's the strategy, but in your opinion, like what are the, what type of investors would benefit the most from your strategy as, as into why would they go with your strategy versus another strategy? So my strategy as a GP is I look and underwrite deals. We're trying to find deals that return seven, eight, maybe 9% cash on cash a year. Okay. And that would return 80, uh, an equity multiplier 1.8 plus over a five-year period. So that's anything. So that's, that's, that's our investment criteria. Those are the types of deals we're trying to locate and, and give to our investment community. Uh, can, you, can you break down equity, uh, 80% equity mul multiple really quick, just by what you mean by that? Thanks for slowing me down. You're good. Uh, so <laughs> the, you have an equity multiplier is the, the measure. So that simply means that for every dollar you've invested over five years or whatever the projection is, you get a total return of $1.80 back plus. And if you... Look at that, that comes, and I don't know exact math, but that comes to an internal rate of return around 14 or 15% a year. Mm -hmm. And so I'll take that all day, every day as an investor. I've seen deals, you know, where they project 
to sell the, the to, for sell, they're not going to get any distributions in the first two years and they're going to sell in the third year and they're going to make a gazillion dollars. They're probably going to do it and they'll probably be successful, but that's not my personal investment strategy. It may fit for somebody else. And so that that's just kind of where I'm focusing as a GP and as an LP, I'm interested in somebody with a proven track record. That doesn't mean I won't invest in a first time sponsor. I still do, as I know and meet more. But I'm looking for a sponsor that has proven track record in a market that's probably in Texas, Ohio, Arizona, and I've done one recently in Louisiana mm. uh, that has proven cash flow history and that the equity stack is, you know, another whole conversation, the equity stack. So you'll see as an investor, there are 80-20 um, models, 70-30. I've seen them go all the way down to uh, 50 50 in there, preps, no preps, waterfalls, acquisition fees, liquidation fees. So, a lot of terminology that investors need to understand, too. It's all in the, uh, the private placement memorandum and the operating agreement, but talk to people, network, 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 join, a, join an organization, listen to Taylor's podcast as, as he goes forth. <laughs> and he has different guests talking about you know, those elements, are all part of the education. It's not a it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not something that happens overnight, but over a period of time, it's the most proven track record to wealth that I know of. Right. You know, dialing back real quick, it's something you know with with all those different terminology uh, when with equity splits, equity waterfalls. I would love to just dive into the equity split, just like on a on a high level basis, just like some yeah. that you've seen, and then how. Um, well, I mean, first off, let's yeah. let's just dive right into it then. Simply, how would you describe the equity split to an to a passive investor? I'd call the equity split the other terminology uses the capital stack or capital stack. Sorry, but those terminologies are synonymous. And so there are 80-20 plans. That means the limited partner gets 80% of the returns and the, and the general partner gets 20%. When I say a 70-30 plan, that means the uh, limited partners get 70% and the general partners get 30%. And then there are other, that goes, that varies. It's, it's, in my mind, it's buyer beware. And every, there's nothing wrong with any of those models. Mm -hmm. I've seen them down as low as 50 50, where the general partner takes, I don't know why anybody would invest in that, but uh, takes 50% of the profits and the limited partner gets 50%. So simple math in my mind says, I like the 80 20 plan because I get 80%. Well, there are many out there who do a 70 30 capital stack today. And that means, the LP is getting 70% of all the cash flow and the general partner is getting 30%. But in most of those models, you'll introduce a new concept here called preferred returns. So that means that the limited partner gets a preferred return of, I'll just use 7%. So in that example, the general partner doesn't get paid anything until the limited partner gets a 7% cash on cash year return. So if they miss that return first year, they got to make it up the second year and et cetera. And if when the deal sells, they're going to, if they haven't been paying those out, they got to catch all those up in arrears before they ever get paid. And so it, and I want to highlight that as well with the preferred return is that it, it something that you said is it incentivizes uh, the GP to make sure that they are doing a good job and that they're not going to be getting paid before the LPs yeah. in any way, shape or form. Um, so you asked me about my personal strategy, my personal strategy. The other item there is the 80-20 plan. 
uh, where limited partners get 80%, but general partners get 20%. And there is no preferred return. It's just a simplistic model, hmm. 80-20. All the cash flow goes 80-20. My personal investment strategy is I actually prefer that versus the 70-30 with a PREF because there are distinct advantages to the PREF. I hear people say all the time, I would never invest as an LP unless I was getting a preferred distribution because I want to get paid first before the general partner does. And that is true. That is a very that is a very good model. The disadvantage of that model, though, is if the property falls behind or is not meeting pro forma and they're not able to pay their preferred distribution, the general partner is not getting paid till three, four, five years out, potentially. Where is their attention going to be? Is it going to be on redesigning that asset or repositioning that asset or going out and finding the next deal where they're going to get an acquisition fee and uh, other fees? Interesting. Huh. And so, again, it's going back to knowing the sponsorship group. I'm not right. insinuating that model is bad, but I'm just uh, explaining to your listening audience there are advantages and disadvantages. I was invited to be in a limited partnership recently that had that model. And I said, I actually prefer to see my general partner getting paid along the way because I want to know they're getting paid. Nobody likes to work for free unless you're independently wealthy and you can avoid avoid a cash flow for three, four, five years out. And again, it's just my strategy. I prefer the 80-20 plan. Many people go the 70-30 and are very successful. Back to the educate yourself and develop your strategy. What works for you as the investor? You know, that's that's really interesting because, uh, and to be honest, I've never really had this conversation uh, and went and did a deep dive into the advantages and disadvantages of the capital stack of the preferred return because I, to, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I've only mostly been seeing like a 70-30 split with like an 8% pref or 7% pref just because it, in, you know, it, it's supposed to incentivize the GP, but then they also could not get paid if things don't work out, but to hear your perspective and your, it, it's, it's, def, it's different. It's different. And I never thought of it in that way either, because uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm not going to like just full on transparency in my mind with the 80, 20 split, I would be worried that the, what, you know, I kind of lost my trend. I would be worried that the GP wouldn't uh, be as incentivized because they're not going to be getting paid as much Compared but they, to may, they may not get the big kicker that you get when the, they're still going to get when the property is sold. Yeah, uh, but I, I guess ten percent <laughs> yeah. wouldn't make too much of a difference. But also at the same time, yeah, I I don't know. I, and, it, and it goes back to knowing the sponsorship group, developing that relationship. Mm. There's there, and I'm pleased. I hope your audience is, doesn't anticipate or insinuate that I'm inferring that model is wrong. It's just got a different risk performance model that you need to be informed of. I have invested in 70-30s with a PREF. I have invested in that. I'm not saying I wouldn't, but I prefer, this is me just personally, that other model. But there's, as you said, there's an awful lot of deals and there's an awful lot of them very successful with a 70-30 and 60-40 and, you know, 60-40 with, and then, then you get into the AB class shares where there's somebody getting getting a 10% preferred distribution and no upside on the sale and a class B share in there where they get a 7% pref with an upside share. My only, I'm a simple man. I just think those models become fairly complex to understand, but people are doing, they're very successful. So back to the education of the investor, being an investor, not a speculator. 
back to the education and then also knowing what you're getting into and um, just getting the idea of your risk, uh, your risk tolerance and mm-hmm. um, what you're really looking for. Now, you know, if, if people want, well, yeah, you know, there's podcast me. I was going to say like, it, yeah, I actually, I, I kind of like have gravitated away from this question because I feel like a lot of other uh, podcasters have asked this question, but I would love to know, like, is there like a specific book uh, when people or like course or a resource that you found beneficial if they wanted to learn more about deal analysis? I, w- I wish I had one for you. I don't want to tailor off the top of my head. Okay. And I, I, I guess of myself, I would only say that I don't think there's any single book that's going to answer everybody's question or any single course. It's about that educational process over an extended period of time. And you, you don't know bad sponsors until you've had one. And that networking and getting uh, people. So it takes time to be an investor and to make informed decisions and mitigating your risk. If you're not willing to do that, I'd, I'd say put your money in a real estate risk. I mean, a REIT, a uh, mutual fund. You know, there's tons of different mutual funds out there that can get fairly good returns too. But if you want to be an investor, educate yourself. Yeah, and well, and well, and for, at least with REITs, I guess my my problem with with the REITs is you don't really get the tax benefits uh, as you would with syndication. Um, but that's a smaller return. Yeah, that's another whole yeah. discussion. That that, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. But uh, oof, do we dive into it? Oh, Go I, for it. You know what? Let's yeah, let's let's you know let's let's dive into it then. Let's 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 talk about the difference uh, between a, a REIT and a syndication because. And I, this question does come across a lot because um, they, they do sound a little bit similar, but they're also completely different in a way. So I would love, uh, in your words, in, in your breakdown, just the, how would you describe to a passive investor the difference between a REIT and a syndication? I'm not going to profess to be an expert in REITs. I know more about syndications than I do REITs. But from my uh, understanding, a REIT is a publicly traded fund that's monitored by the Securities and Exchange Act of 1933 and 34 that control investments on a public scale. And generally speaking, they buy large real estate buildings. They go out and buy office complexes, shopping malls, some focus on, some focus on multifamily. I know another one that uh, focuses on grocery stores. They just buy grocery stores because it's a consistent cash flow and whatever. They have kind of similar in design in terms of syndication in that there's a GP. It's a large publicly traded company that does this across the country, buys huge multi-gazillion dollar properties, Mm -hmm. and and they manage them. Their returns are generally, it just depends. You know, they're taking the risk of buying a property and owning it for four or five, six years, and then selling it too. You know, that's one thing for your audience, commercial properties are seldom held for 10 years plus, whether it's a syndication or a REIT. Commercial properties trade all the time, and it's where you're at in that cycle. The REIT takes a fee, just like a syndicator would. I would say that the REIT uh, has a preferred return, at least some of them do, many of them do, and it's generally lower in my mind, because in my mind, they have a lot more overhead that they got to cover, and they're also taking an asset management fee, just as a syndicator would. I think they're taking a bigger asset management fee, though I'm not an expert in REITs. So a uh, preferred uh, a syndication is a, is a small group of individuals, Taylor and myself, that puts identify an asset, 
put a lending, put a group together to raise the equity, get a loan, run and manage the property. So and the advantage I like is I know the syndicators of our deal. I know where they live. As they say. <laughs> I've got their phone numbers. Right. Um, I could never call a REIT manager and expect a phone call return as to why the performance was uh, declining. <laughs> High level. Uh, that's that's my understanding. Yeah, no, I, and thank you just for the the quick breakdown. I mean, I, you know, one of the big takeaways is that you know, for REITs, they're publicly traded. You don't necessarily know which property that you're going toward, or that that the fund is going towards, or that the trust is going towards. It's uh, you're more investing in the company versus the actual as as an actual equity partner. Um, oh, well, we, we can go. I don't know many of them that really invest in multifamily solely that like yeah. we would do in a syndication. Most of them are doing a broad spectrum of office commercial. Right. Um, et cetera. I see some today that are starting to branch into, I know one I heard of branching into self-storage. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Well, I, I do want to take note too. Like what was funny is uh, you said you weren't an expert. Then also you're like, oh, it, it actually was uh, created because, or this one act in 1933 and 1934. I was like, wow, <laughs> you sound like an expert. What did you say? <laughs> well, there's a big difference between regulated securities yeah, and I, I did take business law a long time ago <laughs> to understand at a high level. The uh, Securities Act of 33 and 34 that regulate all publicly traded instruments, such as mutual funds, stocks and bonds, REITs, they're all regulated by the federal government within that Securities and Exchange Act of 33 and 34. Mm-hmm. Private placement memorandums, syndications are not, they're exempt from those rules because of the nature of their private placement. That's why you have to be an accredited investor or a sophisticated investor to understand that you have the wherewithal and you're not a dummy or you're a sophisticated investor who's educated yourself on some of these parameters. Got it. Yeah, no, I, there was, I, I feel like we could continue to, to go on and on and on and on. But, you know, to be conscious of time, we're definitely going to bring you back, Randy. Like there was, we've learned I've learned so much from this conversation, just hearing your perspective. And I'm sure all the past investors and the people that are just diving into this industry are going to greatly benefit from the knowledge that you have brought upon my audience. So thank you so much again for, for hopping on, Randy. And one last time, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? Well, thanks so much for having me this morning. It's, it's really been a pleasure. I can talk real estate all day, but uh, <laughs> I'd love to continue the conversation with anybody individually if they want the easiest way to get a hold of me is via my website, which is invest-arc, A-R-K, invest-arc.com. And there's a contact page on there that uh, love to schedule a call or email me and if can provide any value, I'd love to do so. Oh, reach out to Randy. Please do, please do. You're going to learn so much, even more so than just listening to this episode. So please reach out to him. He's an awesome guy. And thank you, Randy, for, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.